Uh, Dr. Peter Hornsby, we want to thank you personally for contributing to the Indiegogo campaign. In thank the- you, Hornsby, Yay. and your ranges. He wants to know what our favorite podcasts are. Uh, so that he can add them to his repertoire, I imagine, of uh, podcasts that or avoid he wants them. To listen to. If, oh, if he secretly hates one of us, I see. Oh yeah, knows that that Joe doesn't have good taste. Oh, so <laughs> really, he paid money for a hate thanks. Maybe. Yeah, he th- he's thanking us out of spite. Uh, soda jerks are uh, complicated and uh, <laughs> individual. They are. Well, I can uh, I can open up with one of my favorite podcasts is the uh, and I think it's relatively unknown. The Dead Authors Podcast, the uh, mm-hmm. Paul mm-hmm. F. Tompkins one where he pretends to be a time traveler, H.G. Wells, who didn't just write about a time machine, actually owned a time machine. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he goes back in time and recovers <laughs> authors and brings them to the modern age where they talk about their works. So kind of like a smarter Bill and Ted's podcast then, uh, it's, where instead it's, of going to get uh, Socrates. Yeah, it's very clever. And they, you've got uh, <laughs> stand-up comedians and improv comedians. Uh, playing characters of famous artists, and they basically talk about their own life in the first person, and it's hysterical. I like that. I like BBC's More or Less Behind the Stats. Oh, what? Mm, this That's is a, a statistical podcast? Yeah, well, it's a podcast where they talk about, sometimes they'll have uh, listeners write in and say, I heard this news story. It's all about numbers in the news okay, and how in news media... Uh, they give out lots of statistics and, oh, this is up 100% and stuff like that. And then they kind of analyze where the truth is behind those numbers, if it's lies, damn lies, or statistics. Oh, okay, kind so of it's, it's kind of a uh, skeptical examination of yeah. bad numbers in the news. All right, thing. okay. Mm-hmm. What are you, Joe? Uh, Skeptics Guide to the Universe, which was my first ever podcast. Uh, you never forget your first, huh? And a uh, brand new one that I'm just getting into now uh, is Welcome to Night Vale, uh-huh. which is uh, basically a fictional uh small town morning radio show I don't know if it's morning but a small town uh, radio show in basically the creepiest town in the world where all sorts of weird and disturbing things are happening like the radioactive glow cloud nice and the dog park that nobody's supposed to go to including pets Mm-hmm. And I like Doug Loves Movies and Judge John Hodgman, but we've... Uh, of course you do. Everyone knows those yeah, podcasts. Yeah, but those are very popular. But right? I want to give a shout out to The Greatest Movie Ever Podcast. Oh, oh. why'd you say it so sarcastically? It's not, that's how he says it. Oh, okay. Paul Chapman. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is a guy who knows a lot about movies and mm. film criticism and whatnot. I listen to a lot of movie podcasts and he just doesn't sit around and uh, make stupid jokes. I mean, there are some stupid jokes. Mm-hmm. And bullshit and not know what he's talking about. He knows what he's talking about. He usually has one, sometimes more guests to talk about uh, the movies that he talks about. And he talks about some of the greatest movies ever. And he talks about some of the worst movies ever. And it's uh, one of the other things I like about it is it's very well edited. <laughs> it's always a good thing. Uh, a double thumbs up for technical expertise. <laughs> Rod Injection, big fan! I'm Joe Folger. Kissed him, damn near killed him. I'm Bob Apthorpe. Is there anything more ironic than turning a medical scanner into a death ray? I'm Kevin Leeson. Nuclear meltdowns will always be a hot topic. I'm Torn Atkinson, and this is... Caustic Soda!
nucleus comes from kernel, the Latin nucleus means uh-huh. kernel. Okay. Like and as in, you know, uh, uh, head of an army unit? As in a popcorn, a ah. pre-popped popcorn. Mm, so close. Yep. 50-50 shot. And Meltdown uh, mm-hmm. was used in 1937 in the ice cream industry. What? Really? And then by 1956, it was in reference to a nuclear reactor. Okay. Mm-hmm. Latin mollus, meaning soft or mild. And down from Proto-Germanic dunas, meaning sandy hill. Talk so, about a word that has gone from bad to awful. Like, it's bad enough when you have a, an ice cream meltdown, right? Yeah. Oh, no, my ice cream meltdown. All this ice cream is ruined, and we're yeah. going to have to get some more. Yeah. Whereas nuclear meltdown, much, much worse. You know, if you break it up like that, when it, it's soft and reduced or whatever it was. Soft and mild. Soft and mild or whatever. Yes. It could refer to a lot of different things. It's true. Right? Not just ice cream. Uh Uh-huh. In my refractory period, I get a meltdown. Radiophobia is the abnormal fear of ionizing radiation. And our guest is Bob Apthorpe. Oh. Welcome, Bob. Hi. Did you become more or less popular when apps became a thing? Um, There's an Apthorpe for that? Yeah. There, there is now. <laughs> yeah, quick, we've got we've to fix this nuclear reactor. Oh, there's an Apthorpe for that. Uh-huh. Perfect. So, Bob, uh, what are your bona fides? I work currently as a nuclear safety analyst uh, for a consulting firm, and I do work on fire risk assessment for nuclear power plants, defense waste cleanup, and post Fukushima issues such as uh, hydrogen, sort of the bane of our existence these days. So it sounds like you might be the guy to talk to about uh, nuclear meltdowns and uh, radioactivity accidents. I try to be. Yeah. Is this what a nuclear meltdown sounds like? I actually don't know what they sound like. I've worked with a a piece of software that actually simulates all this. I work Uh on a piece of, say, the part that figures out what the core and the concrete do when they end up having a blissful uh, soiree underneath the reactor vessel. I think it sounds like a cross between a blort and a sizzle. You know, it depends on if it's it's sort of fast and furious coming out of or it just sort of kind of plops down there. But I Mm. I think they really need some sound effects with that. Usually like the sirens. Run away! Run away! (laughs) So they sound like Vin Diesel. That's what I'm taking away from this. (laughs) I think in a movie there'd just be an ominous low hum. Uh, Wouldn't like... mm. You're thinking of a Star Trek warp engine. (laughs) It would uh-huh. need something... Something like that. Something yeah. rhythmic, sort of a... Yeah, yeah. From the time radiation was discovered over 100 years ago, there have been many civilian accidents. The majority of these accidents are due to improper handling of materials that are still undergoing radioactive decay, mm-hmm. often without the knowledge of people that they are radioactive. Okay. Uh, in some cases, the source of contamination is unknown, like the, in the case with finding radioactive paper money in Russia between 1994 and 1996. What? Yeah. Really? So they don't know how it became radioactive, they just know it is. Yeah. How would you know your your money is radioactive? Does it glow in the dark? Does it, uh, you know, make your, your balls tingle when it's in your pocket? Probably yeah. gets you stopped at the airport. Okay. Mm. All right. Tip, if you find Russian money and people are dying around it, don't go through the airport. <laughs> Oh, well. Use the rest of the population as your canary in a coal mine. Because they'll take your money away. Yeah, precisely. Your precious money. Now, we indeed had a radiation episode with Dr. Rob in which we talked about how radiation kills you. One of our earliest episodes of them all. Mm -hmm. We talked about uh, Marie Curie, Castle Bravo nuclear test affecting the Japanese fishing boats. Mm -hmm. Uh, We talked a little bit about Godzilla and Louis Sloten. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also talked about the Goiana orphan source dispersal in 1987. And that's one of the worst uh, radiological incidents we've had in terms of morbid 
death. Um, yeah. No. With, you know, without it getting to kind of a governmental scale of blowing up a radioactive waste tank or a reactor or something. Mm-hmm. Right. We also had a nukes episode also with Dr. Rob. In one of our live shows, we talked again about Sloten and the Demon Corps. Yes. Mm-hmm. Some things that happened with that. Yeah. So everyone should all be familiar with all of that material. Got it. As a uh, prerequisite before you listen to this one. And if not, go back and listen to those other episodes right now. They're fantastic. Do they need to know them? Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, okay. It is mandatory. Oh, okay. Gotcha. All right. Stop listening. Bob, can you talk about the distinction between reactors and critical assemblies? Critical assemblies when you roll a 20 on your assembly skill. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah? Yeah. A reactor... Is generally designed with control systems, safety systems, uh, meant to be more operated as a power know, source. A, well, a power source, or maybe as a chemical plant type of oh, okay. uh, device. If you're mm-hmm. trying to convert uranium into plutonium, for example, uh, or as a research reactor, if you're going to do experiments, you know, okay. it's, got a, it's got a fairly good, uh, sophisticated, you know, set of controls and safety systems. Critical mm-hmm. assembly is more kind of flying by the seat of your pants. Whether a couple of guys you know, in a room with uh, something radioactive, well, you, got a, you know, it's like ah, <laughs> oh, you got half of a nuclear weapon core and then the other half of the nuclear weapon core and a screwdriver and a couple of okay. you so, know so, the demon core so yeah, exactly yeah. Yeah. so did this get shortened from an about to go critical assembly is that the original term for it uh, and or we just uh, abbreviated it to critical could, assembly could go critical if your screwdriver slips assembly well, ideally what you do is you move this thing very slowly together and you've got a detector and you find out it's like okay if I've got a shape of material like this or this kind of material and we move them slightly closer together what do they do it's like oh are they critical yet yes no well move them a little bit closer and it's like uh, uh, okay now it's going wow okay now now that's on fire so it's more like an experimental let's find out what this does whereas a nuclear reactor is like we've got this thing all contained and we know exactly what it's going to do in theory and we're going to stand in a bunker far away and press buttons it's got buttons to press there's a lot lot less you know pushing things with a screwdriver right pop quiz joe what is a power excursion uh, that's when you go to a power plant and they give you the tour. <laughs> nice. Right. No, that's like a walking tour, but you do it on a Segway instead. Power excursion is a rapid increase in, in reactor power, something that critical to uh, the Chernobyl accident, what had happened at the SL-1 accident in Idaho, something else we'll probably right. talk All about. Right. Yes. So uh, it's, like just, a, it's like a surge. It's kind of like somebody accidentally steps on the gas pedal. Oh. Um, or oh. the gas pedal just kind of goes down on its own. Nuclear yeah. power plants have gas pedals? Uh, that, they should probably take that feature out. <laughs> well, and, how else are you going to increase the power, Kevin? Uh, I don't know. By rumor, at the one of the TVA plants down uh-huh. in, uh, in the U.S., they had at one point replaced their normal handle for pulling rods out of the core with a Hurst shifter knob. A Hurst shifter knob? Yes, uh-huh. from for, from muscle cars. Oh, oh okay. okay. And uh, somebody. Did they just, also have the the brass testicles hanging down the back of the plant. <laughs> um, I think the regulator looked at it and and asked, "Is that seismically qualified?" It's like that's not going to survive an earthquake. You have to take that off. Right. Yeah. Yes. Because <laughs> so they did it because they thought it was cool. You got a thousand megawatts of electric power. I mean, yeah. it ought to have a you know. <laughs> right. Put a Hurst shifter on it, man. Yeah. Totally. Light I them up. That. Kevin, what is a scram? Oh, oh, just watched the China Syndrome. They scrammed that plant like three times. Uh, <laughs> but what did it mean? I don't know what it means, but they sure stuck it to Jack Lemon. <laughs> they totally scrammed him? They, they scrammed him big time. Isn't that what you do when there's a critical event? You scram? Get the hell out of there? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you cook eggs on the plant. 
crack a couple eggs on the side of the plant. Cause have, some, a, have some scram eggs? Yeah. Actually, Joe gets a, a big point for this one. There's been a lot of argumentation over the origin of the word scram, that it's an acronym for signal control rod axe man, which seems entirely too complicated for mm. what... Yeah. You know, if you think about the period of time, it's like, well, scram is in popular usage as run like hell. Yeah. Which is kind of what you'd want to do if you couldn't stop the reactor. So it's an emergency shutdown of a nuclear reactor. Exactly. Get those mm-hmm. rods out of there. Scram. Actually, get them in there. Or get them in there? Yep. You need the rods, like, in the water. Put the poles in the holes. Yeah. So Put the poles in the holes. <laughs> well, actually, that, we, we'll, talk, we'll probably talk about it later with types of reactors, but depending on the... Reactor type, uh, for example, pressurized water reactors will have uh, control rods that come down from the top. So mm-hmm. they're held in place with uh, electromagnets. And if you lose power or you cut off power intentionally, they should drop by they gravity. They should just drop by gravity. Mm-hmm. Boiling water reactors, have they have a lot of gear up at the top of the reactor used for uh, drying steam. Basically, you boil water in the core. It comes up, and then you just separate the steam from the water because you mm-hmm. don't want to run water through your turbine or really bad things happen. Mm-hmm. That This will be a theme that will come back when really bad things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can't put the rods in from the top, so they put them in through the bottom. But then the question is, how do you get them to go in when you're fighting gravity? Right. And they actually have a fairly interesting system for um, being able to, in an emergency situation, just let water out and have it kind of suck the rods in. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. All right, some sort of like a vacuum system. Like a capillary system of some kind. Oh. I don't know why caterpillars need to be involved, but... Uh, <laughs> caterpillary. Well, you said so. Joe, what is the Chernobyl necklace? The Chernobyl necklace. The Chernobyl necklace, that is the uh, teeth made of the people who died uh, from the Chernobyl incident. That would be a very big necklace. I think I saw this movie when I was in high school, and I'm really, I don't think it's appropriate to talk <laughs> yeah, about. porno. That's a porno joke. Yeah, Chernobyl necklace. It's uh, the glow-in-the-dark pearl necklace. I see. Yeah. It is a horizontal scar left on the base of the neck after a surgery to remove a malignant thyroid gland caused by radiation poisoning. Oh. The bearers are visually recognizable as Chernobyl victims. Oh, mm. there you go. Mm-hmm. All right. Now we're going to get into measurements. A thousand. Kevin, what is a rad? My answer was going to be a million. Uh, <laughs> it is a single unit of measuring amount of radiation that you get. It's for measuring radiation in California. Hmm. <laughs> now, why is California? Because it's totally rad. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Originally defined in 1953 as the dose causing 100 ergs of energy to be absorbed by one gram of matter. Mm-hmm. It has been replaced by the gray in standard international units, but is still used in some countries. Hmm. A gray is the absorption of one joule of radiation by one kilogram of matter. Mm-hmm. Does anyone know how much one gray, how many rads are in a gray, and vice versa? Uh, a million. <laughs> Not close. Ah. So, so a rad is, is, is how much? A rad is, is 10... 100 ergs of energy right. to be absorbed by one gram of matter. A gray is the absorption of one joule of radiation energy with one kilogram of matter. Do you know your ergs and joules? <laughs> okay, so it's a thousand times as much matter, but I don't know what an erg to a joule is. You know uh, what? To be honest, like if I got a box of ergs and joules, I would eat it. I'm, I'm going to say... <laughs> I'd, I'd be like, uh, I'll cook... I'll, I'll gray cook is about, uh, a gray is about 10 rads. 100. That is correct. One gray equals 100 rads. Okay. And and that's not because I'm like really familiar with grays. I hate grays personally. Oh. Um, this is just a a historical like when I learned 
this technology. Mm-hmm. RADs, RAM, all that have a very simple human scale. 10 RADs or 10 RAM, you kind of feel it. Uh, 100, um, you really feel it. And 1,000, you're not going to be feeling much. You're going to mm, be dead. Right, okay. Mm. Well, here's a sub-pop quiz then. Okay. I will give you the symptoms, and you give me the number of grays of radiation you've absorbed. Oh, okay. All right. So, Joe, you are nauseous, and you are vomiting with a slight headache. There's a 0 to 5% chance you will die. How many grays? Uh, 300. Ooh, way off. Yeah, yeah. No, it's like one gray. Yeah, it's like one to two grays. Yeah. How much tequila is involved? Uh, how, how many how many kilos are you, Joe? <laughs> Uh, 78. Fair enough. All right. right. Kevin, Mm -hmm. no hope of survival. 100% chance you will die within two weeks. 10 grays. Very good. Yeah. Greater than eight grays is the correct answer. I was listening when he said (laughs) that there are 100 rads in a gray and there are 1,000 rads. You won't be feeling much. You have two days left to live or less, Joe. Uh, 50. (laughs) You have not been listening at all. What did you, you said 100? I thought you said 10. I did say 10. Okay. What would you say? Like six, five or six. No. No, it's higher. It's higher. Oh. So I was paying had, attention. you had two weeks. Oh, Joe's I Joe's only got weeks. two days. Oh. So that's why I went to five times. 50 to 100 maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says here 30 or more. Uh, 30 okay. grays or more. But right. 30, 100. Mm-hmm. Well, you well, know, it's, it's all the same. What's well, 70 you. grays between friends? <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, what is REM and it's not rapid eye movement? <laughs> or the band. Or any other easy joke. Damn it. Reflexive erg magnetism. Mm, no, Joe. Uh, it sounded sciencey though, didn't it? Huh? It, huh? Did, it did sound very sciencey. I would ah. give you points for that. Uh, rad electrical man. <laughs> Close. There's one. Yeah, yeah one you, word you right. Got, you're one third of the way there. It's uh, Rankin equivalent man. Oh, okay. Our, we get back to our friend Wilhelm Rankin. From the 19th century. He's your friend, not my friend. He is credited with the first x-ray photo with a picture of his uh, wife's hand and wedding ring. So quantities measured in REM are designed to represent the stochastic, or random, quote-unquote, uh-huh. uh, biological effects of ionizing radiation, primarily radiation-inducing cancer. Radiation-induced cancer. Okay. There's a distinction between how much, what they call exposure, you get, which is RADS. Yeah. That's And that's energy uh, imparted to a some amount of matter. Right. But not all matter is the same. Like, That's true. For example, your bones or, you know, your flesh or the cornea of your eye. So mm-hmm. different parts of your body react differently to radiation. So there's a conversion for, you know, it's like, how bad is this for you? Like, you know, if you get, if your butt gets irradiated, eh, big deal. It's your, <laughs> I you know, use it. I mean, okay, so you may want not want to be sitting on that for a while. You know, you want some ointment or, or something. But, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like, you know, zapping someone's eyes or, you know, their gonads or something. You may not want to be, you know, thinking about kids for a little bit. The RAM is defined since 1976 as equal to 0.1 sievert. Between 2 and 10 sieverts in a short-term dose would cause severe radiation sickness and increasing likelihood that this would be fatal. So, Joe, what is a Becquerel? Oh, uh, that's a sauce. A Becquerel is a Becquerel is amount of radiation in volume. Oh, it's a sauce you put on stuff no, to make it taste. Becquerel's per. It's another radiation. That's a vinaigrette measuring <laughs> thing. Uh, Becquerel is also known as a decay per second. It's a unit of activity. Mm, exactly. Mm. The the BQ as it's shortened. Black Burger, Burger Queen. Burger Queen. Burger Queen mm-hmm. is defined as the activity of a quantity of radioactive material in which. One nucleus decays per second. The Becquerel is therefore equivalent to an inverse second. Who has any of those? 
An inverse second? Yeah. S to the minus one. No, mm. I, I can only I can only experience time forwards. Okay. Mm. Well, that that's also the same unit as frequency or hertz. Mm. And we all know how much this hurts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. To the minus one isn't backwards. Ugh. It's time travel. We're talking about time travel, It would right? be negative seconds then. Kevin. Yeah? What is a curie? Uh, well, it's a person. Uh-huh. Who invented things uh-huh. and discovered radiation and uh, d- died a lot later than I thought she would have. She made it into her 60s. Do you have a better answer? Is it is it enough radiation to kill one uh, one research scientist? <laughs> That would be kind no, of awesome. It's a it's it's a hit of ecstasy you take to solve some problem. A curie, yeah, cure e. Uh, it actually involves uh, Robert Smith of the Cure. Ah, uh, in a, in a way of it's a sort of a level of depression caused by <laughs> how many Cure songs you listen. Yeah, it's to? exactly. Yeah. It's like, you know, if you, you can get, get past you know, kiss me, kiss me, kiss me, then <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. That's like twenty five curies. It's, that one's kind <laughs> yeah. of curie, but then you listen to Love Cats and it makes it all better, right? So I have here a non-standard international unit of radioactivity defined as 1 Curie equals 3.7 times 10 to the 10th power decays per second. Wow, that's a lot of math. While its continued use is discouraged by NIST, what does that stand for? National Institute of Science and Technology. Mm -hmm. And other bodies. Mm -hmm. The Curie is widely used throughout the U.S. government and industry. They're not going to be told what numbers to use with the rest of the world. We all know that. They do like antiquated measuring systems, after all. Okay, so we do have 8.5 by 11 paper, and we still are quite fond of our pints and quarts and and drams and (laughs) whatever. Fortnites. Rods. Do we really use Fortnites all that often? Rods and hogsheads and Mm -hmm. stones. While the, the SI units are really great for kind of doing the math, they like I was saying before. They really lack this human component of, mm-hmm. of like, well, like Beck rolls are too small. Decay per second. It's like, well, when somebody says there's you know, seventy five terabecquerels of. That's when the people who don't know anything on the internet go, oh my god, oh my ten thousand becquerels. That would kill all the people. That's, there's a gajillion of them. It's like, do you know how much is going on in the sun right now? You don't have enough zeros for that, mm-hmm. and. Well, I don't want the sun here either. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. All right. Another sub pop quiz. Okay. Okay. Radioactivity in some natural or other materials, more or less. I will give you two. We have to pick one. Which which one has Two items or two places or two somethings. Uh You tell me which has more radiation in it and which has less radiation in it. Okay. Kevin, the air in a 100 square meter Australian home. Okay. This is, comes from radon. Okay. Or the air in a 100 square meter European home, which has more radiation. The Australian home. Something has to explain Australia. I think it's the Australian one because they're closer to where uh, the Pacific testing was. So I don't know. That's my guess. Because uh-huh. there's testing out there, and I don't think there have been any nuclear testing in Europe. In fact, a European home has 10 times more radiation <sighs> from radon. Uh, an Australian home has 3,000 becquerels, and a European home uh, has 30,000 becquerels. I don't know the, geog- or the geology of uh, Australia, but uh, you see a lot of uh, radon problems with granite bedrock because there's a lot of trace materials of radium, thorium, uranium. Australia does a lot of uranium mining, but right. the actual— They evidently don't take it home with them. Well, yeah. They mostly take home asbestos, but, mm-hmm. well— I'm sorry, that's a callback. <laughs> that is a callback. They had discovered radon gas and uh, the dangers of uh, radiation exposure in uh, Germany in pitch, uh, pitch blend mines. 
which is uh, in which which mine? Pitch blend. Pitch blend. It is a sounds like something you buy at Starbucks. Uh, it might, in fact, be depending on how much uranium <laughs> is in your, is your in grande yeah. granita latte. Well, that brings me to the next question, mm-hmm. Joe. Which has more radiation, a kilogram of coffee or a kilogram of granite? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, wow. I'm going to say the coffee because it can pick it up from the ground when it's growing. I'm going granite, and I would have gone granite even if I hadn't picked second. It's equal. It's what? a trick question. Oh. I win. You lose. We were lose. both right. <laughs> no, we were both right. All right, Kevin, back to you. Uh-huh. 1970s luminous exit sign. Yeah. Or adult human. <laughs> Which is more radioactive? Which has more radiation? Which I gotta is go more, with the which human. Is more radioactive, yeah. The human, because it sounds like the unlikely answer. Oh, Joe. I'm going to go with the sign, because the 1970s would mean it wasn't light up with lights. It was probably using uh, glow-in-the-dark paint that, that had uh, radioactive material in it. I don't know if that's the correct reason, but that is the correct answer. Oh, because they did have lights in 1970. An adult human is 7,000 becquerels. A 1970s luminous exit sign is... One million becquerels, or what? one tetrabecquerels. The problem with the lights is you need to make sure that there's always a power supply, and you need to have exit signs that work even if there isn't one. So you use the yeah. glow, the glow in the dark paint, you, either a radium radium paint if it's old signs, yeah. or or tritium, like uh, night sights for rifles. But then you find out that's terribly radioactive, and then you go, let's just put a little power supply in these signs. So, but make all, it better. All you need I to guess. do to not get irradiated was not enter or leave these buildings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, actually, no, it was the You can enter, sign. but you just can't, you just can't leave. Just, yeah. just don't high-five yeah. the sign when you leave. That's yeah. all. <laughs> Maintain a, a safe distance. Or lick it. Or lick it. Yeah. Don't lick it. Thank you for telling me where to go. <laughs> I, yeah. It's that's an odd thing to start doing. That's how we show affection for signs in <laughs> our country. I know. <laughs> Joe, we're very polite here in Canada. Which is more radioactive, a household smoke detector with americium, americium, or one kilogram of low-level radioactive waste? Oh wow! It's, uh, one a kilogram of low-level radioactive waste. One kilogram of low-level. I don't know waste. how they define it as low-level uh, because no, neither do I. Yeah, you hold uh, it below the table and it's on the floor. Right, yeah. it's on the floor at the time. <laughs> yeah, and the Geiger counter is a, like waist height. Yeah, it's, but like somebody could go. I could say that's more, but then you could say no, it's even lower than that. I don't know. Uh, I'll say the the waste. I know. I totally agree that the smoke detector is radioactive, but I'm going to say the waste anyway. Smoke detector. Smoke detector has. 30,000 becquerels, one kilogram of low-level radioactive waste is one million becquerels. Ah, boom. Kevin. Yes? Radioisotope for medical diagnosis, or diagnosis. <laughs> yeah? Or one kilogram of uranium. I got a diagnosis. Uh, what were my two choices? A kilogram of radium or what? Radioisotope for medical diagnosis, or one kilogram of uranium. Ah. <sighs> Again, it feels like this is a trick question. I'm going to go with the medical diagnosis one. How much of the medical stuff? A normal amount. Well, whatever, gonna... whatever goes in the diagnosis machine. One kilogram of uranium, then. Because that's a lot. I feel like I'm going to be wrong here. We're looking at the worst here? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's going to be the medical stuff. Easy. Yes, that is correct. What? Yeah. One kilogram of uranium is 25 million becquerels. Radioisotope for medical diagnosis is 70 million becquerels. Woo! Medical diagnosis is kind of a weird thing because mm-hmm. they very high controls on, on use of radioactive stuff in, in industry. Mm-hmm. They loosen that up a fair bit for the medical 
uh, for medical use. They can do whatever right. they want. Well, you've got you've got people who well, are, are are trained, and it's like you know your your choice is you know we you got to play off the risk for an individual. It's like yeah. well, do we give them put them in the X ray or do we just like you know we'll just kind of guess at what's wrong with them? Yeah. <laughs> so what were the number of comparisons again? Uh, Twenty five million. Twenty five million to seventy million. So about three times as much. Mm-hmm. But if you had one third of as much of the medical stuff, they would be about the same. Got it. But it's also there's a lot more leeway that you have as a as a medical practitioner of how how much you just can crank do. that dial. Yeah, <laughs> just crank it. It's like that Milgram experiment. Just take them up to a hundred. Radioactive mama, hold me tight. Radioactive mama. Radioactive mama We'll reach critical mass tonight Well, when we get together Clear away the crowd There won't be nothing left Except a mushroom-shaped cloud Radioactive mama Treat me right Radioactive mama We'll reach critical mass tonight Kisses do things to me in all so many ways. I feel them going through me, all those gamma gamma rays. Radioactive mama, treat me right. Radioactive mama, we'll reach critical mass tonight. I kissed you, baby, that evening in the park I lost my hair and eyebrows and my teeth shine in the dark Radioactive mama, treat me right Radioactive mama, we'll reach critical mass tonight They called you mad in university They stole your lunch money in grade school. It's time to build your secret laboratory and plot revenge. Your magnificent monster is ready to rumble. Let's play... Kaiju A-Go-Go. Kaiju A-Go-Go is an action strategy game where you take the role of a mad scientist... Choose from one of three giant monsters and then proceed to attack cities around the world. As the game goes on, you can build up your lab and build up your creature with over 90 unique power-ups for even more city-stomping fun. Go to kaijuagogo.com, that's K-A-I-J-U-A-Gogo.com, or search for us on Kickstarter to find out more about the game and how you can help make this game come to PC, Mac, Linux, and mobile devices this fall. Support perks include having your own special building place in the game to claiming an entire city in the game, as well as copies of the game, of course. Kaiju a go-go. If you want to rule the world, sometimes you gotta break a few cities. Now, the International Nuclear and Radiological Event Scale, or INES, Uh, the International Atomic Energy Agency created the scale in 1990 in order to enable prompt communication of safety significant information in case of nuclear accidents. Okay. The question is, how many levels does it have? 
I.e., what number does it go up to, this scale? Okay. Five. Uh, 20. You would know this. I complain about this. Seven. Yeah, that is oh. the correct answer. So now I'm going to I'm going to give you a description. Now that you know it's out of seven. Okay. And you tell me the number. Joe. Serious incident. Four. That's it? That's all we get? That's all you get. So any incident that uh, gets upset if you crack a joke. <laughs> so I'm going to call it a Joe. Uh, in the event of a Joe, uh, I'm going to go with a uh, three. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, so, Joe, when a lady says you're a three, she's referring to how unfunny you are. Or how unsafe you yeah. are. No, in you're a totally nucle- right. How unsafe you are in a nuclear accident. How unfunny is Joe on a scale of one to ten? Mm-hmm. Three. Mm-hmm. You're right. <laughs> uh, Kevin. Yeah. Accident with local consequences. Ooh, we're going to have to call this a Kevin. There are lo- very localized consequences. Can you put in a paper to have the scale changed to throw, throw Joe and Kevin in there somewhere? <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, 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 I'll make a couple calls. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make the, the Kevin a uh, a two. Oh, Joe. So accident with lo- and what was the other one we just did? Serious incident. Serious. Oh, incident. damn! I went the wrong way. So th- yeah, this is probably no, take backs. a little more. So this is probably the four. That is the four. Ah. Here's the thing. There's incidents and then there's accidents. Yeah, ah. yeah. This is just Two like levels. It's just like a war versus a police action. Now, Joe, what about deviation? Deviation is like a level on this scale. Yes, this is a joke. Deviation too. from what? From a planet full of life to a planet not <laughs> full of life? Oh, we've deviated from our regular course. It's now barren of all. Because uh, hmm. <clears throat> that could be the seven, if that's what it means. Uh, deviation uh, six. I'm thinking that's a one. It's a zero. Oh, ah. yeah. There's a zero on this. All right. Trick question. What but is then it? it goes zero to seven. And that means there's eight levels. <laughs> yeah. uh, you I love was, this. I was carrying the three the entire time. Uh-huh. Kevin? Uh-huh. Anomaly. Oh, good. That's a one. Yeah, that's right. All right. It is a one. Okay. It's also Anomaly. the start of many Star Trek episodes. Joe, serious accident. Serious accident would be a five? Six. Ding, 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 ding. Wow, man, I am like hitting the nail on the head here. So it goes, deviation is zero, anomaly, incident, serious incident. Now we go into the accident subcategory. Accident with local consequences, accident with wider consequences, serious serious accident, accident, and major accident. Super serious. It is sounds what they like should have called it. Major accident sounds like a character from a kids movie where the guy's like a military guy, but yeah. they Major have to accident. they have to hit the hit the nail on the head with. He's the name got of the some guy. sort of bad bedwetting problem. Yeah, <laughs> he solves crime accidentally. Yeah. Oops! Oh, I caught the criminal. He's played by Damon Wayans. So you don't like the scale? No, I don't. Mainly because of the top two. There seems to be no distinction between. What, what is it? Serious accident and, and major, major accident. accident. They've only got two uh, instances for each, and they are roughly equivalent. Both of which spread a lot of radiation all over. Both had widespread environmental and uh, health effects. Especially if the the two examples that you've cited are roughly equivalent in a, an objective point of view, then you know it's subjective scale that puts them into a different category at some point it's like okay this is really miserable well how much more miserable does it have to be to be like 
extra special, double secret miserable. Yeah. <laughs> you oh. know, it's like, is, it, is there somebody over at, you know, Dean Werber over at, uh, you know, the IAEA going, you know. Oh, I wake up double secret mi- miserable, you know, once a year. <laughs> the two level sevens are Chernobyl and Fukushima. Uh, and Kishtim was a six. It's it's weird because, you know, we have actual fatalities and widespread health effects from Chernobyl, but we're, according to the UN, and, you know, you're not going to see any health effects from Fukushima ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thus ends the pop quiz. Okay. Now let's do some science. More science. Mm-hmm. Talk about nuclear reactors. A nuclear reactor produces and controls the release of energy from splitting the atoms of certain elements. In a nuclear power reactor, the energy release is used as heat to make steam to generate electricity. Mm -hmm. Most nuclear electricity is generated using just two kinds of reactors, which were developed in the 1950s and improved since. What what are the two kinds of reactors? Uh, Primarily the boiling and pressurized water reactors. And would I know what they were by looking at them? Well, one would have steam coming out of of pipes, and one would have water coming out of pipes. And is it radioactive steam? Oh, yes, it is. Is it it, indeed? It it is. It goes through through the reactor core, so it's slightly radioactive. So not dangerously radioactive. Well, you don't want to be... as we discussed... Coffee is radioactive. Well, you don't want to be anywhere near it. Okay. That's why they... But uh, that's sort of our general general rule in a power plant. It's like, ah, did it go through the core? It's like, yeah. It's like, you don't want to be next to that. That's true also of coal plants. I don't want to be near the smokestacks Uh, in coal plants. Coal plants are giving off way more uh, radiation than nuclear plants is what I've read. Yes. And that's, again, due to trace materials in the in the coal right. going up and out the stack. Around 13% of the world's electricity is produced from nuclear energy. Fuel usually used is uranium. Usually pellets of uranium oxide are arranged in tubes to form fuel rods. Agree? Yes. Coolant used is usually just water, but could also be carbon dioxide, light sodium, or heavy water. is a form of water that contains a larger amount of the hydrogen isotope deuterium. A moderator is material in the core which slows down the neutrons released from fission so that they cause more fission. It is usually water, but may be heavy water or graphite. Reactors that use a moderator are called thermal reactors, which are almost all of them uh, currently in use today. So I'm guessing that one type of reactor is purely catch and release. Because if you're going to fish in it, and you said don't go anywhere near that water, it's a fission reactor, right? Well, that's kind of what you want for for moderators. You want them to catch and release. Because if they catch, then they're absorbers. Right, so don't eat the fish that you get out of a nuclear reactor. Exactly. Got it. That's a, that's a public service announcement right there. Public service announcement. announcement. The lifetime. Most of today's nuclear plants were originally designed for 30 to 40 year operating lives. 30 to 40 years? Yeah. Um, most of them are kind of that old now, aren't they? Well, a lot of that was based on how long it would take to pay back the reactor and completely depreciate it. So a lot of that is financial. Oh, so there's like some bean counter going, you know, this is going to depreciate it to zero value in 40 years. Right. So it's like you've got your, you know, 68 Chevelle, and it's like, how long do you want to keep that going? And it's like, well, you know, if you replace the engine and the tires and the brake lines and everything periodically, just make sure it's not rusting apart. Sure, you can go another 20 years with it. Did a new stereo. Oh, definitely. With, with, a, yeah. with a phone dock uh, yeah. and a GPS. So this is my... In my head, this is this is what I'm thinking a nuclear reactor is. You have a radioactive material. Mm-hmm. It creates a nuclear reaction in some way. Got it. Everything gets really super hot. It heats the water. Makes sense. The steam rises. It turns the turbine, which generates electricity. Usually what you see is maybe uh, some sirens on a power pole as you're getting closer, and then you're out in the middle of the woods, and then you see a fence with possibly a guard, <laughs> okay. Okay. guard post. Yes. Okay. And then you get in closer, and then there's... There's 
contractor parking and then there's employee parking <laughs> okay. and then and then you get to the very serious fence and then you get inside <laughs> ah, the wire mm. and then there's a big ugly concrete thing nice all right and there's all also right. a lot of steam coming out because all of that all that heat in the center of the reactor goes on its circuit you know happily through the turbine and into the condenser and then back into the reactor but then there's water that's got to go through the condenser and take that heat out to the environment so when uh, you see the iconic image of the nuclear power plant and they've got the two kind of like really Sloping curvy stacks, stacks yeah uh, what kind of reactor is that that is actually a hyperbolic natural draft cooling tower that has uh, almost nothing to do with the nuclear side you see those on coal-fired power plants as well First. Hyperbolic draft. The hyperbolic natural draft cooling tower. The hyperbolic natural draft cooling tower. Sounds like a new beer. It, it does. <laughs> the hyperbolic natural draft. It's like some sort of you know, new fermenting technique that makes it extra, extra tasty. Taste the fission. Yeah. And so how hot does a nuclear reactor get? About 500 degrees. Centigrade? Centigrade. Hey, that's uh, too hot to cook a turkey? Well, Just hot enough for meatloaf? And how long does it take to cool down? If, if you turn it off. Um, about a day or two. Okay. But that's kind of the problem. It's sort of like stopping a speeding freight train. Right. I mean, you can put on the brakes and turn off the engine, but you've got all that momentum behind you. Right. Right. So Inertia is kind of, a bitch. It is. I mean, that's what you saw at uh, Fukushima. You know, they had everything turned off and shut down, and then tsunami came and washed their electricity away, which is a big irony with, of nuclear plants, is that a lot of the current generation, the original threat they were designed to survive is what they call a loss of coolant accident. A big pipe breaks and all the all the water leaks out. Okay, yeah. So um, they didn't expect more water. Well, exactly. A surplus like, of water. Too much water. <laughs> the thing was, it's like okay. You, so you saw one problem. You know, the one problem that you're really worried about is is the loss of of coolant. We've re- pushed the, that risk way down. What's our next biggest risk that is kind of looming behind us? Oh, lack of electricity. Because now we have no no way to turn on our pumps no way to open our valves we don't have our control and instrumentation system they're like wait what the worst thing you can do to a power plant is cut its electricity yeah Uh you'd think they would have that bicycle yeah that's when you get like work control room you pull out all the bikes yeah at fukushima Fukushima, they were going out into the parking lot and pulling batteries out of out of cars cars and buses yeah to squeeze a little bit more dc power out of you know for the system well there you go Um, so my next question is what is nuclear waste? Like when there's nuclear waste barrels or giant silos of it, is it just radioactive uh, water? Or it's when they don't go to college. It's what a nuclear yeah. wa- what a nuclear waste. <laughs> a member of a nuclear family that does that. Yeah, that's where we get into slow neutrons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> no, I, uh, nerd joke. Waste is whatever you don't want. Right. So depending on who you Candy are, wrapper. Right. Well, I mean, here's the thing. It's like if, you know, you drink a soda, you, you know, I got this leftover aluminum can. Well, uh, I don't want it. I throw it out. There's mm. a guy out in the street who's got a giant bag full of aluminum cans. Yeah. He's like, one man's nuclear waste is another man's treasure? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Who finds nuclear waste treasure? A lot of the low-level nuclear waste is stuff like paper towels, rubber gloves, anything like personal protective equipment that, you know, you go into the power plant, you touch something, you assume that whatever you touch was radioactive, take the gloves off, it goes into a barrel, and we put it behind a fence someplace for Got it. eons. So uh, put them in the washing machine and uh, reuse? Is they that, do uh, actually have nuclear laundry, but, you know, yeah. then again. Yeah, it's like, oh, now that's a Maytag. Uh, um, yeah, now you made me want to get a nuclear laundry machine. All your other colors run except for the bright yellow. Is it self <laughs> Here's my question. Is the nuclear laundry self-drying? 
Um, because it's so radioactive. <laughs> But it just we, warms itself up. We <laughs> wish. We wish we were smart enough to be able to like really recoup all that. You know, we, mm. we'd say, "Oh, it's totally green or blue or whatever colors it's glowing." <laughs> but when you do something like nuclear laundry, for example, you gotta you're not going to run that wastewater down into into the storm sewer. We would hope, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you run that through. It's like ion exchange filters and resins and all this crazy water treatment Purification stuff. Yeah, so all that stuff has replaceable parts. You've got the water treatment resin material. So every once in a while, you've got to change that out and put new resins in. So those resins are now radioactive waste. And that stuff is actually fairly, I won't say high-level waste, but it's it's not anything to sneeze at because right. it's basically you're, you're using that to kind of sponge up all the right. crud that you find in the water, etc. So, you know, a lot of that stuff can be ultra-compacted and dewatered and, you know, stuck in a drum someplace, and it's mostly inert. Then you've got stuff like control rods and you've got f- nuclear fuel. Mm-hmm. And those are like your, two, of your, two of your big ones. Got it. If you think of motor oil, it comes out of the car. It's got a bunch of crap in it. Yeah. Um, if you could remove that crap, you could probably still use the motor oil. So, yeah, got it. If you really wanted to, you could recycle that. But then, when you got to build a whole recycling plant, and then when you go and clean up your motor oil, you're going to have this gloppy sludge, which is probably a, you know a lot worse than the motor oil you started with. Gloppy sludge, uh, worst professional wrestler name ever. Now, I I was I watched uh, Pandora's Promise, and one of the things I learned about that is that they're working to recycle the nuclear waste so that you can run future power plants on the nuclear waste from... Yeah, the the plan for decades had been to reprocess fuel. Basically, you pull out any of the original uranium that's still good, any of the plutonium, which is generated by the process. That also has the benefit of reducing the lifetime of your waste down from, say, you know, this 100,000-year figure people throw around to about 400 or... 500 years, which is still pretty awful. But, I mean, we've got prisons that we've had open for 500 years. So, yeah, we send the nuclear waste waste there. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we got our lighting and all the heating taken care of. Hey, while you're here, could you guys process this for us? Just, yeah, Mm -hmm. here's a a hammer and chisel and put the glowy bits in this bucket and. Non glowy bits you can keep. In the history. I've organized these in uh, order of least deadly to most deadly. Nin- so it's not uh, it's not chronology; it's causticology. Yes. Mm-hmm. Nineteen eighty-two, Taipei, Taiwan. Radioactive steel scavenged from a nuclear reactor was recycled into rebar and used in the construction of apartment buildings. Oh, no. <laughs> Over two thousand apartment units and shops were suspected of as having been built using the material. About 10,000 people are believed to have been exposed to long-term, low-level irradiation as a result. Despite awareness of the problem, owners of some of the buildings known to be contaminated have continued to rent apartments out to tenants, in part because selling the units is illegal. Selling the units is illegal, but renting them out to tenants is not. I guess so. Seems Uh like a flaw in your justice system. You have a hole in the law. But casualties, unknown. But casualties, unknown. So we don't know how many of them (laughs) irradiated their butts. It's hard to count assless people. Yeah, that's true. Sure. They tend to cover it up. There's you actually... can tell the buttless ones because they got to cinch the belt up extra tight. Oh, okay. Keep the pants from falling down. Mm-hmm. You have to have uh, strict controls on radioactive materials. Not, necess- not necessarily you know, because something is particularly dangerous to people, but to make sure it doesn't, the material doesn't get recycled. And we've had issues with Mexican steel. We've had issues where uh, people have scrapped x-ray sources 
and then they melt it down with a bunch of other scrap steel and they ship the stuff around and then people start finding the steel is failing far earlier than it should. It's not as strong and as it should be. Collapse. I don't know if it's buildings collapse, but they, they, they find that it's like, why is this steel sub substandard? And then they start looking, it's like, it's radioactive. It's like, that's no good. On a positive note, Mexican steel, best wrestler name of all time. Uh-huh. Mexican steel versus Columbia sludge. Yeah. <laughs> I would watch that. 1978, Northern Canada. Soviet optical surveillance technology lagged behind that of the U.S. during the Cold War, mm-hmm. so while U.S. spy satellites could linger at high altitudes and use solar panels for power, mm-hmm. the Soviets were forced to fly their spy satellites at altitudes too low to use solar panels. Atmospheric sure. drag would take them down. Again, we all know this from Kerbal Space Program. You yeah. can't put those things out when you're inside an atmosphere. Yeah. Their solution was to power the satellites with small reactors. At, nice. the en- at the end of the satellite's useful life, they would separate off the they would separate the body of the satellite and let it burn up in the atmosphere. Then boost the reactor up into parking orbit, a sort of nuclear space junkyard. Okay, <laughs> nuclear space junkyard. Cosmos nine five four was a reconnaissance satellite launched by the Soviet Union in nineteen seventy seven. A malfunction prevented safe separation of its onboard nuclear reactor when the satellite re-entered the Earth's atmosphere the following year. Oh, so it was up for one year only. Yep. And it started to come down, and its its reactor didn't boost itself into the parking zone. Into the into the uh, uh, space graveyard. Right. Yeah. So the crash scattered a large amount of radioactivity over a 124,000 square kilometer area in Canada's north, nice. stretching southward from Great Slave Lake in northern <laughs> Alberta and Saskatchewan. Uh-huh. Operation Morning Light was the effort to recover radioactive material from the satellite. The joint Canadian-American team swept the area by foot and air. Gotcha. Uh, right with brooms. Sweeping, sweeping. Yeah. Uh-huh. Guess how much of the radioactive fuel was recovered in percents? Uh, 5%. Joe. I, I read it, but I'll say it anyway. Uh, 1%? I read it too. <laughs> 1%. 1% is correct. Well, uh, I didn't read it, and I was still pretty damn close. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were ultimately able to recover 12 large pieces of the satellite. All but two fragments recovered were radioactive. One fragment had the lethal radiation of 500 RPH. Rads, do you suppose that means? Yeah, or rads, rads per hour. hour. Rad per hour. Okay. Which is 100 times higher than the maximum annual per person radiation level of 5 rem. Provided you stuck around it for an hour. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. those yeah, are yeah, yeah. two different units. Yeah. Oh, so that's 500 rem per hour and the maximum is 5 rem? Well, the, that's actually... The maximum annual. No, 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 let, me, let me rephrase that. I'm, I'm wrong on that. It's 5, it's five rem per year. Right. So... Or, or as we like to say, one and a quarter per quarter, because you're not allowed to like save it up all for the last right. quarter of the year. I oh. see. Yeah, five all at once is not a good thing when it well, comes to rims. You know, you always got to watch those guys. You know, Homer Simpson's going to find a way to game the system, and it's like, well, yeah. I can yeah. get five a year. It's like not all in this afternoon. No, but it's one of those things. Like when you, I used to get my Halloween candy, and I would space it out. I'd eat like three pieces a month for like the whole year until I came around to Halloween the next year, and then. You know, I was just running out in time to get my next batch. Whereas my brother, our producer and, and sound engineer Mike, uh, would eat it all in one sitting As the day after do. Halloween. So I was the one who, in this situation, would you not die of radiation poisoning. Not the grasshopper. You were the other one. Yeah, but I mean, do you the re- tortoise and the hare? Yeah, you were the tortoise or whatever, <laughs> and the grasshopper. Do you really want year old bit of honey? <laughs> I mean, be honest. Some of that candy already tastes like it's a year old. <laughs> 
Yeah, so, doesn't so what this bad. means is, is if you if you're close enough to this, you would get a year's worth of radiation in 36 seconds. If yeah, you're doing the math right. Yeah, and if you hang around for an hour, you're probably about you get 50, 100 times. You yeah. got about 50 percent chance of like living to see your next birthday. 1952, Chalk River, Ontario. This is the NRX incident, and that's where they get all the um, chalk for the boards and all the rivers. Mm-hmm. Canada's most expensive science facility used to develop new isotopes produced neutron radiation beams and test materials and fuels. Okay. This is the first serious reactor accident in the world, 1952. And this, is, right. a, this is an amazing Canadian first. All right. Canadian first. The NRX suffered a partial meltdown while tests were being run mainly with coolant flow through the reactor core tubes. A number of the tubes were disconnected from the coolant system. Okay. There were a series of valves in the basement beneath the reactor which controlled the control rod pneumatic system. Got it. Some of them had actually had their handles removed to prevent them from being opened. Okay. Nevertheless, an operator opened some by mistake. As a result, three or four control rods rose out of the reactor, trying to reverse the process. The control rods got stuck. Oh, oh. Wrong buttons were pressed by operators. <laughs> Fuel elements melted, and the core was pierced at several places. This is a partial meltdown. Okay. All right. Now, uh, when you're hitting the wrong buttons, uh, do you think it's a matter of... They there was a button that said "Do not touch this," and they touched it, or it was they skipped over the one that they should have touched and touched a different one. Actually, you can blame a lot of this on a short phone cord. Oh, um, okay. Tell yeah. me more. Wow. So, so there I like w- the way this is starting. There, there was one operator in the control room and one down in the basement operating manually operating these valves. He had inadvertently opened a couple and pushed rods out of the core. Yeah. He, he got a phone call from the control room, said, don't do that. Put those back. Too sweet. He, and he did. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. and the expectation of those rods, oh, they'll just, you know, fall right back in. Well, they kind of got stuck. You know, take that valve handle that you've been fiddling around with for the last half hour. Mm-hmm. Go go to valve, you know, 142 and turn that to push the rod back in. And it's like, well, 142 is the wrong valve. So the guy sets down the phone. Because okay. 142 is across the room. Right. He goes over there and the guy's, oh, wait, 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 143, 143. Hello? Hello? And oh, meanwhile, no. the guy's across the room <laughs> without the phone. He's like, oh, 142, I turned it on. I turned yeah. it on. Turn it back. Turn it back. That's okay, all she wrote. So, so less less to blame uh, the short foreign cord and more blame the guy who gave him the wrong number in the first well, place? Well, if you, you know, it's like if you were thinking about the system, you would have a long enough phone cord that the guy be able to hold the phone up against the ear and go uh-huh uh-huh 142 press okay. buttons they oh, should they should have just invented cordless phones right then and there yeah. well it's 1952 what are yeah. you gonna do some gaseous fission products were vented into the atmosphere the nrx reactor core damaged beyond repair was removed and buried and an improved replacement was installed in the next 14 years despite the declaration of peaceful use chalk river facility supplied about 250 kilograms of plutonium in the form of spent reactor fuel to the U.S. Department of Energy to be used in the production of nuclear weapons. Our waste, their bombs. So how much is 250 uh, kilograms of spent Plut- reactor fuel? Mm-hmm. Plutonium? It's a lot. Uh, the bomb dropped on Nagasaki, Japan, used about six. Wow, over, so 40. Over six. Yeah. 40 times. But casualties, zero. Not okay. even the guy. Incident. It was down there pushing on control rods. The operators are, are fairly well protected in this situation. Um, it was the the cleanup crew that you had to worry about, right? And the cleanup crew consisted of both uh, Canadian and U.S. Uh, military forces because there was a let's practice our decontamination skills, shall we? So we'll get a bunch oh, okay. of servicemen to do this. One of those servicemen was a 
naval officer from the United States named Jimmy Carter. Oh, Ooh. wow. And that radioactive man went on to be president. <laughs> he is at the presence of two nuclear accidents, both Three Mile Island and NRX. Coincidence? So, see, there you go. This is the secret not. of success. Uh, I, I cannot confirm or deny. <laughs> Jimmy Carter is behind it all. Interesting side note, it is claimed that the term crud originally stood for Chalk River Unidentified Deposit. Okay. Used to describe the radioactive scaling that builds up on the internal reactor components, first observed in the NRX facility. However, it can also stand for corrosion-related unidentified deposit, mm. in case anyone asks you what crud means. That's another one of those where, where I think like it's like scram. It's like, nah, I think there's a simpler answer to that. I think it's just crud. It's making a crud sound when it comes down the, yeah. <laughs> the side of the Got pipe. It. 1957, Windscale Cumberland. Can't miss this one. It is a level five. Wow. Out of seven. Sellafield Cumbria is what Cumberland eventually became, Windscale Cumberland. This was a nuclear reprocessing plant, not a power plant, built to convert uranium into plutonium for the UK bomb program. Got it. The reactor's graphite core caught on fire, which destroyed the core. The fire burned for three days and released an estimated 750 terabecquerels of radioactive material, that's 20,000 curies, into the surrounding environment. My God, 20,000 curies. Yep. Imagine them all trying to get through that. God. Yeah, no it's wonder. A, it's so like a little science. little French scientific clown car. <laughs> <laughs> As a precautionary measure, milk from surrounding farms uh, were, was destroyed. Okay. Casualties? Zero. Another casualty-less disaster. When will we stop this craziness of nuclear power generation? The cost. <laughs> oh, the cost. Oh, wait. Actually, there's a really interesting political angle on the windscale wind fire. During the war, there was a kind of strong cooperation between the U.S. and the U.K. Mm-hmm. Canada was a special kind of, relationship. It was I a special it was relationship. Yes. Canada was kind of cut out early, much to the chagrin of the Canadians. But in the post-war world, the U.S. was kind of holding out information on on the U.K. and the U.K. being worried about being marginalized in the post-war world figured that the best way to stay at the table was to also... Start their own bomb program. Yeah, have their own bomb program. Right, it's like, well, it. everybody's got one. You know, all the cool kids have got a bomb program, mm-hmm. so we're going to have one too. Yeah, they're going to have to get invited to the game because they own the football. So the British were still plugging along with their program on a very tight time frame uh, with very limited resources. Right. And, you know, it's kind of like driving beyond your headlights. In the actual, like the, the original official history of the accident, they blamed uh, the windscale fire on operator error. That's usually a code name for there are deeper systemic issues that nobody wants to address or talk about. Okay. Right. Um, okay. So if you if you hear operator error in anything, it's usually there's a <laughs> problem with management or something that it could mean operator error. Though, it, right? it could. It yeah, could. Okay. I mean, but the the thing was that. They had changed the design of the core. They were operating at a much higher power. They had changed some of the fuel. or When they changed it to put all these other things in there, they didn't move the instrumentation around. So they didn't know where the real hot spots in the reactor were. Tune in next week for the exciting conclusion to this episode of Caustic Soda.